Hello and welcome to the Sifted podcast recorded at Dream Factory, the content creation house for startups. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And every week on the Sifted podcast, we are talking about the bread and butter of Sifted's coverage, and that is Europe's tech and startup sector. We talk about the top news in tech and startups in Europe, we share some opinions, and we talk to the journalists that are actually reporting on these stories. And this week, we are talking about all of the very crunchy news that has been coming out about how the downturn in the wider economic situation is beginning to have an impact on European startups. So we've had a big swathe of layoffs announced and it's not looking so good for a bunch of the very, very hyped, very, very highly valued businesses of yesteryear. Yeah, I feel like this week at Sifted was like super intense. I mean, I used to work at a newswire, right, where we were like doing breaking news and stuff like that. And this was the first time since I started working at Sifted where I really felt like things were like a real like breaking news yeah room. we had our reporter miriam in berlin being like guys gorillas laying off loads of stuff and we're like hit the story hit it miriam so yeah it's been a pretty hectic news week yeah i was talking to a lawyer this week about you know what questions we should be asking startups when we're talking to them about making the really difficult decision to lay people off and her question was you know really dig into like why they're doing that a lot of people have when we've asked them they've said yeah it has to do with like uncertainty and the fact that the economy doesn't seem to be doing well anymore and her point was really like is it really a cash flow problem or is it more like pressure from investors to really you know conserve capital and extend their runway which you know from the point of view of an employee could be a little bit more difficult to swallow Yeah, other conversations I've had this week, people raise the point that it's best to, in their opinion, it's best to lay everyone you plan to lay off in one fell swoop because it's an extremely horrible thing to do and it's very, very damaging for company morale. And, you know, one big cut, like lots of these companies have done, is horrible, but you can get through it if you manage it in the right way. Questions are being asked about whether these layoffs have been managed in the right way but that's a separate conversation but when you're getting into really really dangerous territories if you do a set of layoffs and then you do another set of layoffs because it instills this sort of fear basically amongst your employees that just because their job was saved this time it might not be saved in the future so I mean hopefully we don't see that happening but that's something that we might see in the future. Yeah, I think that's definitely something we'll be looking out for. And going to what you were talking about, Amy, about the, you know, hit to morale and that, I think the communication is so key. Um, and so I would really be interested going forward in, in hearing from companies about how they're having these really difficult conversations with employees. So who exactly has been choosing to cut people? So on Monday, Gorillas, the speedy grocery company based in Berlin, announced that it was cutting over 300 people, 300 roles from its team, and that it would be basically scaling back its growth plans. So it'd be focusing on just five markets rather than the nine markets that it's currently in. Gorillas is insisting that it's not pulling out of the other four markets, but it's also said it's not going to grow in them. So reading between the lines, we think that means it's probably you know looking around for a buyer and if it can't you know tbc whether it can find one next up came the news that klarna 
was laying off 10% of its global team, which is around 700 people. And the founder actually told the team that on a pre-recorded message. Interesting choice. We've also since then heard that Zap, another speedy grocery company based in London, is in talks to make a chunk of its staff redundant. And also Getir, the Turkish fast grocery delivery company, has plans to cut 14% of roles globally. So it's pretty sizable number of people. And why, why do you think we're seeing this happen, Amy? Our reporters, Miriam and Freya, looked into this a bit more closely with regards to gorillas. And there's several signs that things maybe aren't going so well for them. So app downloads have really dropped off, especially for gorillas. It's very far behind Getir globally in terms of the number of downloads its app has had. But actually all of the companies, all of the, the food delivery companies have seen their app downloads and user sessions tail off recently. I, you know, I assume that's because customers don't have as much money in their pocket and they're starting to maybe scale back on getting some expensive ice cream delivered to them when they could not eat expensive ice cream or walk to the the store. You know, this this stuff is perhaps seen as a luxury in many of the, the use cases. It's also been eight months since Gorilla last raised funding and we were told by someone who used to work at the company that its burn rate was around 90 million euros a month, which is pretty high. So if you do some maths on that, it means Gorilla does not have very much cash left in the bank at this point. And we've also heard from people that the fundraising process is not going very well for them. Yeah, I feel like this is this really kind of bringing everything down to earth moment for European tech. Like I remember when Gorillas became set the new record for the fastest European tech company to get to unicorn status. And it's just this crazy heyday of speedy grocery. All the VCs were piling in and just throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at this. And it's like, you know, one gust of macroeconomic headwinds, and it seems like it's all kind of falling over. And I guess that brings us quite nicely to another deep dive we did into Klarna, the buy now, pay later giant, you know, absolute poster child of European tech, a decacorn, Europe's most highly valued fintech, you know, all the gold stars for Klarna. Yeah, it's just incredible how over the past, you know, five years even, buy now, pay later, has taken so much market share in Europe and especially in the UK. In 2020, according to Bain, 49% of millennials used buy now, pay later, which is just an insane amount. I mean, I've used buy now, pay later to pay for everything from clothing to I bought a mattress with buy now, pay later, split it into three installments. It's so easy. You know, you don't have to pay interest on it. It's like, yeah, I can see how like people would love this thing. But it's also very, very vulnerable to some of the things that are going on in the economy right now. Yeah. So our reporter, Amy O'Brien, dug into this. Klarna's pre-tax losses tripled in the first three months of this year to $250 million, um, and that's up from $80 million in the same period last year. And I guess, Elena, why why are buy now, pay later companies so affected by the downturn? Is it because consumers aren't buying as much stuff anymore? So yeah, so there's the aspect of consumers tightening their belts, but there's also 
the question of interest rates rising. So if you're a central bank stan like I am, I'm sure you've seen central banks are raising interest rates, interest rates rising across the board, right, which is bad for margins at these buy now, pay later companies, which are operating where we're operating under such thin margins. I guess Klarna is such a giant. Does that put it in a better or a worse position than some of its many much smaller buy now, pay later competitors? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, if you're in this very, very thin margin business, one way to kind of extricate yourself from that dilemma is just just to have scale. Right. And obviously, Klarna has huge scale, which puts it in a much better position than smaller buy now, pay later companies. But the other thing that Klarna has been very smart about doing over the last couple of years is just diversifying its business in general. It's made a bunch of acquisitions. And for example, it's also gotten banking licenses in some uh, jurisdictions. So that means that it can actually have consumer deposits in those places. So it's got retail banking, it's got um, shopping up, and then going into some B2B stuff as well. But I think that we're definitely going to see some consolidation among the smaller players just because they're not going to be able to survive. With all of this uncertainty and turmoil, there are definitely lots of startups out there wondering how they're going to deal with a changing economic environment. And our startup life reporter, Anissa, actually talked to the fintech GoCardless' CFO, Catherine Burkett, this week about some tips for how startups can prepare for a recession. So we're going to talk to Anissa now about what she heard. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, so you spoke to Go Cardless' CFO, Catherine Burkett. Can you tell us what were her top tips for preparing for a recession? Yeah, the tip she emphasized the most was not to panic. The economic downturn that we're currently seeing at the moment is more dramatic than even Catherine could have predicted. And that's with 20 plus years of financial experience, 15 years of that being a CFO, which is quite incredible. Um, another tip that she really emphasized on was to understand your company numbers. Often within a startup, you kind of hand that over to your CFO or your accountant to do that part. But she said it's really important to have a deep analysis and a deep understanding of your company's cash flow and reserves right now for your entire management team. So they know where can they cut costs? Can they continue to hire in their particular teams? Do they have any emergency funds to continue growth or is it time to really slow down? Catherine suggested having a six months runway at minimum at all times, but coming into an economic downturn, she wanted that to be a little bit more sort of looking at 12 months, if that is something that is possible within the company. A final tip from Catherine was about fundraising. She had said that if she was starting to fundraise now, She would be a little bit worried about doing it and would have two options. One would be to say, hey, this is just not an option right now. We're not going to do that. And a second would be to go in a bit more conservatively and raise a down valuation. Just to kind of explain what a down valuation means, it's when you fundraise at a value of a business, which is lower right now than it was in a previous period or in a previous fundraise. Um, So she said, don't expect to get the numbers that you would have been getting even six months ago. So much more conservative fundraising planned because investors are going to be more cautious. 
customers, both businesses and public are going to be spending less. We're just not hitting the numbers that we were in the previous period. And Anissa, that sounds all well and good to say, just don't fundraise right now. But if you do not have much money in the bank, what did she recommend you do? Yeah, so she talked quite a lot about having a plan B fund, which is where you try and have 12 to 18 months covered in slightly different ways. So one of the key ways you can do that is if you fundraise before, go back to your investors and say, hey, can you please put some money aside for us in case we need it? So they're not putting that money into the company. They're just putting it in a little pot to the side, a little reserve, if you will, that you can tap into should you need it. It's not the best option of having the money in your bank already, but it's a nice promise and um, a nice thing to have as a plan B, as I said. The second thing is you can consider raising venture debt, which is another way of raising money. So go and talk to your bank. Potentially, there are other providers out there of venture debt now. uh, So that's quite a good option. And again, you could raise at a down valuation, which is much nicer than going bankrupt, to use Catherine's words. And what about in terms of what uh, managers at startups could actually be doing? What can you do to reduce your burn rate, as in the amount of money that's exiting the bank account every month yeah I was quite surprised by Catherine's answer on this that it wasn't just cut all your stuff which is what we're seeing right now across European startup land she said cutting all your stuff can create a culture of fear and people worried about their jobs so you may see a lot of people jumping but the other side of that is that it's quite hard to grow a team again it's slow and it costs money so she has that as her last kind of step however if there are parts of the company where you have overinvested, maybe in a particular team, it's got quite big, and then she would look at cutting those. Where she primarily goes to look for where you can save money are places where you have kind of discretionary spending. So maybe it's the tools you use within your company. We all know how bloated companies can get with tools that barely get used. So it's about doing a real analysis of what you are using and what isn't quite being used right now and to save money there. Other places are, what are the perks the team are getting? Are they getting bonuses? Are you really filling your fridges and your 10 offices across Europe all the time? So having a look at those small things that tend to add up to quite a lot of money were some of the things that she talked about. And when I'm when we've been reporting on this stuff and when I'm thinking about this, I'm imagining one of the trickiest things is how you communicate all of this to the team. Did she have what were her tips about how you say, look, the situation isn't brilliant, we're, you know, getting rid of the free kombucha in the fridge or whatever, or, you know, something a bit more upsetting than that. How do you tell the team, make sure they don't feel too worried? You know, they feel like you're all in this together, you're going to get through this, etc. Yeah, so I think one of the things we've all talked about quite a lot over the last 12 months is talent wars and the need for talent. So people will have jobs to jump to. And so what you want to do is make the team feel really safe and secure that this is just a moment, just a blip in time that you're going to get through together. So she's a big fan of having very transparent conversations with your team of saying, hey, this world is very different right now. You may not be getting the big pay rises, the bonuses that you're used to. Your working environment may be different. That's going back to the perks we were just talking about. And there will be pullback in spending, whether that's in 
team that you had been promised, extra support that you had been promised, your shares are going to be worth less right now. However, all of this is an aid of getting the company as quickly as possible back to the growth times that we have seen and have been experiencing. And the value that you are creating will also come back to you in terms of your your stock options and your shares. Amazing. Catherine sounds like a very smart lady. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing, Anissa. That was really helpful. Thanks, Eleanor. Thanks, Amy, for having me. Miriam and I are going to be talking a lot more about how startups can weather the economic downturn in the Startup Life newsletter. If you don't already get it and you're a senior operator in European tech, I'd highly recommend signing up. Uh, You can find it on the sifted.eu website. There's a newsletter tab and you'll find us there. This episode of the Sifted podcast was recorded at the Dream Factory, a content creation house for startups based in Shoreditch. They very kindly offered Sifted readers a discount code, which gives you £300 off the £3,000 yearly membership. All you need to do is quote Sifted 300 when you book a tour or apply to membership. And if you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, and there is a lot going on at the moment check out all of our latest coverage on sifted.eu and you can also find all of the articles that we've mentioned all of the news stories that we've been speaking about in the podcast description wherever you have downloaded this episode one more kind of exciting thing coming up for the sifted team we're going to be in vienna on june 2nd for our next sifted sessions as part of vienna up you can register now on our website if you go to the little events section And obviously, please sign up for many of our newsletters, like Anissa and Miriam's fabulous Startup Life one, which is full of very, very good tips from very smart operators at startups all over Europe. Please follow us on Twitter to catch the news as it breaks. And let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast. We are always very keen to take in your feedback and make this as good as it can possibly be. Thank you very much and see you next week. Bye bye. Sayonara. What do you say? Sayonara. Oh. <laughs> Sign that up. God, I'm. Sayonara. Oh, I need a fucking coffee. Bye bye. Jesus. Jesus. Bye bye.